0: I'd like for you to open your Bible to the 103rd Psalm, and I want to read verses 1 through 5, but you'll want to keep your Bible, I think, on your lap because this message includes all of the passages, all the scripture of Psalm 103, and just be reading verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle? The Bible is full of the tremendous promises that God has made His people. Perhaps the apex of all the promises of God, the greatest of all, is the promise that Jesus made in John 10:10. 10, 10. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The promise of the abundant life in Christ. The promise of abundant living in the Lord. But the thing that impresses us most about Christianity is not that folks are living the abundant life that has been promised in Christ. The impressive thing is the impotence that we have in trying to live the abundant life. I know more folks who are living the redundant life than I know who are living the abundant life. And that's what makes this psalm so exciting because it is the description of a man who has found the secret of the abundant life. He's he's found the secret of abundant living. Now Psalm 103 is different from most all other psalms. In most of the other psalms, you'll find some petitions for God's blessing or help, agonizing petitions. You won't find that in this psalm. In most all of the psalms, you find some complaint about God or about life or about self. It's amazing how much bellyaching goes on in the psalms when you get right down to it. But you don't find that in this psalm. This psalm begins and ends with glorious praise because it is the psalm of a man who has discovered how to live the abundant life. And the good thing about it all is that he shares that secret with us. First, the secret of the abundant life or a person who has found the secret of the abundant life is a person whose spirit is dominated by praise to God. This is a psalm that is dominated by praise to God. And I have noticed that the folks who live on that level that's just a little bit above us, most of us, who live kind of above their circumstances and their problems, who just kind are able to live above it all, are people whose spirit is dominated by praise to God. Now this is not circumstantial praise. It's not, man, I feel so good and things are going so great, I think I could sing. It's not that at all. As a matter of fact, he says, all that is within me, it's something from the inside. It's not based on an external circumstance It's based upon an internal relationship. It's something that just happens on the inside of Him. All that's within me praises Him. And the psalmist tells us that there are two reasons why we should praise the Lord. The first is because of who He is. That's why he says, bless His holy name. Praise Him because of who He is. Now how are you going to praise Him for who He is if you don't know who He is? The reason why some of us don't really have a problem with praising the Lord is because we don't really know the Lord. We know about the Lord, but we don't really know the Lord. To know the Lord is to praise Him. Let me tell you, it's easy to praise the Lord when you know Him. As a matter of fact, it's easy to praise the Lord when you trust Him. It's easy to trust Him when you know Him. The reason why we don't praise Him is because we don't know Him. The reason why we don't trust Him is because we don't know Him. You ever seen somebody trying to learn how to drive a car? A a beginning driver? I mean, they got both hands They just clamp down on the steering wheel, just lock in on it, both hands on the steering wheel, staring straight ahead. Those white knuckle jobs, you know, it it looks like they think they're gonna have to turn the car. It's just, you know, rigid and 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 you know why? Because they're not well enough acquainted with the car to trust it. You know why there's so much fear in us? in life. Why the abundant life is a thousand miles from us is because we're not well enough acquainted with God to be able to trust him. You see, trusting God is not taking a chance on God. If when you came in this morning somebody handed you a bullet and said, now all you folks that's gonna sit in the center, good luck, you know, you're taking a chance on those pews. Because we're not sure if they're gonna hold you up or not. We think they will. Go ahead and take a chance. But, but the, the, the glue is kind of worn out on them and the screws that hold them together. And, and they may or may not hold you up, but you know, take a chance on it if you want to. You'd be sitting on the edge of your seat. There wouldn't be a single one of you that would you know, be leaning back like you are now. Some of you wouldn't be leaning over there taking a nap. Like, you, know, you see, taking a chance on God is, is, like, is like that. And nobody wants to take a chance on God But everybody would like to know a God on whom they could rest. And that's the God we have if we know Him. Missionaries tell us that when they try to translate the word faith from the Greek New Testament, they can find no word for it. There is no word to translate faith until they find a word that translates resting your whole weight upon. Now when you really get to know God, you're able to rest your whole weight upon Him and to rest your whole weight on Him is, just causes you from the inside to praise Him and to thank Him. And the psalmist says that we are to praise Him not only for who He is, but for what He's done. And He enumerates those things that He has done forgetting none of His benefits. Now how long has it been since you sat down just just to name them, to enumerate what He's done? And there's a New Testament illustration of it. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And Paul is giving us the instructions of how in the practical way to live the Christian life. And then he says this, he says, In everything give thanks. You see, when you know God, you know who He is, and you're able to rest your whole weight on Him, then you're able to thank Him in all things. You see how it all fits together? Now, He didn't say that you're to thank Him for everything, but you're to thank Him in everything. Now, you know some of our circumstances in our, in our home and the illness that some of us have experienced. When well, I'm not going to go in those glory details, but I am going to confess to you, it's been pretty hard for me to thank God in everything. But in my quiet time and on my bed, as I begin to think about the circumstances that are happening in our life, in our house over there on the 2020 Live, 2022 Live Oak, uh, I, I find it a little bit hard to give thanks in everything. and everything. And, and, and as I begin to concentrate on that, you know how it helps me? is just to remember who God is. And understanding who God is, I understand what God's about. And understanding what God's about enables me to give thanks and everything because I know the bottom line is that things are working for good. A person who has learned to live the abundant life is a person whose whole spirit is dominated by praise. Secondly, he's a person who has been healed by God. He says, and he healeth all our diseases, all our diseases. Now that word for healing there is a word that means to make whole, W-H-O-L-E. And it refers to the healing of the spirit and the emotion and the physical body. You see, there's so much woundedness, so much brokenness, so much hurt. Everywhere all over this audience this morning and this television audience, there are so many people who are hurting. There's so much woundedness in this life. And there'll never be an abundant life. We'll never live the abundant life until that brokenness is healed, until that hurt is healed. Now, the psalmist says that we're to praise Him for healing, three kinds of healing. The first is spiritual healing. It begins with that. It begins with spiritual healing. and He talks about He pardons our iniquities. Now now listen carefully, folks. It has to begin there. You could be physically whole and sick if you're not spiritually healed. It begins with that. Now, he says that we are to receive pardon, receive healing, be willing to accept healing spiritually. That's not as easy as it sounds. It's not as easy to forgive yourself, to accept His forgiveness as it sounds. As a matter of fact, somebody said that the the distinctive nature of the Christian faith is that it compels the individual to receive, and to receive something means that I I have to admit my need of it. That's not as easy as it seems. I remember when I came to the Lord. I was about 17 years old or 18 years old when I came to the Lord. And I knew that God wanted me to be a preacher. And I was dealing with that. The Sunday I came, the, week, the, the, the next Sunday after I became, uh, came to the Lord, the Sunday prior, something happened in worship service that has, and has made my life different ever since. I want to share it with you. All during that week, the devil was working on me. He was saying, how can you be a preacher? How can you serve the Lord with all you've done? I mean, there are people that know all of what you've done. How can you do that? I mean, he's working on me really, really tough. And when I got to church, now I don't remember a whole lot I heard when I was in high school in church, but I remember what happened that Sunday because I know as well as I'm standing here, that God had that preacher say that for me. I was sitting there, he got preaching, He said. He said, "Now some of you find it hard to receive God's healing spiritually. God's pardon. He said, let me show you an illustration of it. He said, you let the sun represent God, and you, repre- you let your, your shadow represent your sin. When you come to the Lord, your sin is behind you. And that burden was lifted because I had accepted His pardon. Now, I counsel with a lot of people who have been forgiven of God but have never received or accepted that forgiveness for themselves. There'll never be wholeness or abundant life until you know the forgiveness of God that goes all the way down to your sin. There is physical healing. He heals all our diseases. Now, contrary to what some of you think, I was born after the days of the traveling medicine shows. I I don't remember. Some of you can remember those. But I do remember one time going to Knox City, Texas to a carnival. I was about a junior in high school and they were having one of these carnivals and Ferris wheels and all that and we went over there to check the girls out first and to see the carnival. And uh, you know, We met the boys from Knox City coming to Monday to check out the Monday girls. We could have told them. <laughs> but but uh, we were going to Knox City and they were coming to Monday and we were going over there to check, and we went to this, car- this carnival and the true story they had this guy, they had a, had a little uh, booth there, a tent, kind of a, a, a carton, a cart, and this guy was selling this miracle drug. It looked like vanilla extract, a big old bottle, and he was doing one of these medicine show pitches. And he said, this, saint, this medicine will cure anything. He said it would cure ulcers, arthritis, dandruff, athletics, feet, I mean, it just, it was a cure for everything. And we plunked down our good, good earned money for one of those bottles, knowing that it wasn't going to cure anything. I mean, we did it for a joke. Now, he said it was going to cure something, but we knew there was no cure in that, and so we bought us a bottle, and we drank it right there in front of everybody, you know, just for fun. Now, there are a lot of you who say, I believe that God heals physical disease, but you don't. I mean, there's some of you who think that you just you'd be about as quick to rub uh, snake oil on you as to ask God to heal you from disease. But let me tell you something: this man was convinced, without a doubt, that all healing comes from God. Now he didn't say that God is going to heal all everybody of every disease. He didn't say that. We know he didn't say that. What he did say was. that that all healing has as its ultimate origin and destination and source. Almighty God, He heals physical illness. He does. And He heals emotional illness and there can be no abundant living apart from that healing. Now somewhere between our sins on the one hand And our sicknesses, on the other hand, is an area that the Bible defines as infirmities, cripplings, their emotional illnesses, wounds and scars that go all the way back, some of them to childhood. I heard Seaman. I read where Seaman said that that he counseled a woman who would come in for the first four or five sessions, would sit in his office with her back turned to him and her collar turned up to cover her face. She didn't even want him to look at her because when she was a child, her father sexually abused her. You think she didn't have a wound? And some of those wounds go back to, middle school gymnasium classes, and some of them go back to, to being chosen on the playground. I don't know where they all come from, but I know that we all carry around inside of this, is, uh, inside of us these emotional wounds that need some kind of healing. If you go out west, some naturalist will take a crosscut of, a, of one of those gigantic redwood trees out there, and he'll show you the developmental stage of that tree and he'll say, those rings there, see those rings? He'll say, now this ring was, represents the year they had the big drought and this ring here represents the year they had too much rain and this ring represents a time of blight hit that tree and this, rep- this, this represents a forest fire here destroyed it and those, tre- those rings are buried down in the heart of that tree and are the witness or the revelation of its, of its development, its growth. Now watch this carefully. A few minutes below the bark, the veneer of our externality, below the, b- the bark, the external veneer, our image we project, just below the surface of that for many of us are these rings, these scars, these emotional wounds that have never healed because they've never had the healing of God upon them. And there can be no abundant life until there is emotional healing. Now let me say quickly, that God is not the only one responsible for healing he's not you know what I'd like to see happen I like for it just to be just just natural for you to be in line down at the Safeway or Winn-Dixie or whoever owns the grocery store yours and they're there they're there and you're, and you're there lined up in the line and you're talking to this newcomer in town and this newcomer says uh, you know he says we're moving in and it sure is hard to get moved I know it's tough Can you tell me where the best place to get healing? I'd like for you to be able to say immediately, not the medical center or the clinic or TMC, I'd like for you just to immediately say, sure do, First Baptist Church. Come on down there and experience the power of God's love in your life. Come on down there and experience the power of the love that God ministers through the life of His people there. That's the best place on earth to be healed. And I'd like for this scenario to happen, I'd like for you to be lying down there at the Safeway store and somebody says to you, you know I got a bunch of these old cans, you know where there's a recycling plant, I sure do, down there at First Baptist Church, First Baptist Church, yeah it's recycling, that's where we recycle God's grace. That's what Paul meant when he said, You're to comfort one another with the same comfort with which you've been comforted. He's just saying you're to take God's grace and recycle it into the lives of someone else. Now, let me say to you, you're not going to be able to heal anybody as long as you're condemning folks and criticizing folks. We're the only army that shoots its wounded. Every other wounded person in every other army, they drag them off the battlefield and, 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 and work for their healing. When somebody fails of our army, somebody slips up in our army, we want to shoot them, put them on a the shelf and forget about them. We're the only army that shoots its wounded. We are not, God is not the only one responsible for healing. So are you and so am I. And we live the abundant life when we experience the healing of God and when we become agents of that healing. Amen to that. Let's say, well, faint, amen. From a few. Let me say one last thing, please. The person who has experienced the 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 secret of abundant living is a person whose life, whose who has been liberated by the liberating power of God's love. Now, if you want to read verses eight through eighteen, you're going to see a description of the liberation of the love of God. Now, I grew up in a home that didn't express affection or emotion too much, very little, and so most of the affection or, 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 or approval or love that I felt was attached to performance, so if I did something good, I, you know, I got these, show, these displays of affection, so boy, I really worked at getting that, those displays, because what affection I received was usually attached to performance. Now, I grew up and made two big mistakes. Now, watch this. I'm not going to give you the gory details. I made two mistakes. Number one is I thought I had to earn my father's love. That was the first mistake. He loved me. I just didn't know it. And the second mistake I made was I equated approval with love. I thought that being approved was being loved. You can love somebody and not approve of what they do. So I made two big mistakes. You know, when I got to be an adult, I didn't get out of that. So I spent the first 40 years of my life trying to gain people's approval. Did you know that? When I'd pastor a church, I wouldn't have two mothers, you know, one mother and one daddy. I'd have a thousand. (laughs) And I just worked as hard as I could to get people to love me. And the people who know me best know that about eight years ago, I nearly wrecked myself emotionally. I nearly had a nervous breakdown, physical, emotional exhaustion because I was spending all the life, my life, trying to gain people's love. And there are some of you who are just like that when it comes to God. Now watch this. There is a tremendous linkage in our Christian theology, a tremendous linkage between performance and love. And most of us have the idea that you've got to perform successfully and correctly for God to love you. It's a terrible error. God loves you freely. He loves you ere he knew you. And we boast about the fact that God loves us not in the, on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of who we are. That's not even adequate. God doesn't love us on the basis of who we are. He loves us on the basis of who he is. And we're not loved by God because we're loving objects. We're loved by God because He's a loving subject. It's His nature to love us. And you can rest in the love of God because God loves you, loved you before you ever were. I got thinking this week as I was working on this, and God's been in the last six months of my life, I've been, where I've been walking around and mess, messing around has been in, 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 in praise and love and in, in praise and faith. So... I got thinking about this sermon. And I thought my kids know that. Well, I have one at home left, so I worked on her. Hm. I was taking her to school the other morning. I said, "Now, Michelle, I said, "Darling, I want you to know I love you. And I want you to be a good athlete, and she loves basketball, so well, I want you to be a good athlete, and I want you to make straight A's. I really do. I want you to keep on doing just what you're doing." you're going to be Miss America one of these days and first woman president all the same year. You just keep that up, but I want you to do that. But I said, now, Michelle, I I want to ask you something. Do you know that my love for you is not on the basis of those kinds of things? And She said, oh, yeah, Daddy, I know that. And I said, I want you to know that I just love you regardless of those things. Do you know that? Do you know that you don't have to perform to get God to love you? Now he says three things about that love and I'll hurry and quit. Ten minutes. He says the love of God is limitless. You look at verses 11 through 13. He says that that the love of God reaches to the heavens. You know how high that is? The psalmist didn't have one clue as to how high that is, but we do. I'm told that the farthest star is 10 billion light years away. Now, I said this morning in the early service, every time I go into one of these illustrations on astronomy, somebody corrects me. So a guy came up to me and he, he handed me this information. This is the corrected information from, from, uh, <laughs> from the early service to now. <laughs> We've made some marvelous discoveries between the first service and the second in, in the field of astronomy. Now, how far is it to the highest, to the farthest, to the heavens? I mean, he just lying back there on his back one day, the psalmist said, you know God's love reaches all the way up to heaven. Well, tr- light travels at 186,000 miles per second. Let me tell you how far it is. If you take that number, 186, 186,000, you multiply it by 60. You get how far it travels in a minute you multiply that number by 60 you get how far it travels in an hour you multiply that by 24 and that's how far it travels in a day you multiply that by 365 and you get how far it travels in a year you multiply that by 10 big 10 billion that's five octillion for it is such a word if it isn't it is now that's five octillion years away miles away isn't that amazing and he said as far as the east is from the west you start traveling east this morning, and you go to Atlanta. You head to Europe. You go to Tokyo. You come back to the West Coast. And as you travel, you're never traveling any way but east. Now, if he said as far as the north is from the south, you go to the North Pole. You head to south after that. But you start traveling east, and you're always traveling east. You never get to the end of the love of God. It's limitless, and the love of God is personal. He says, as a father loves his child. Now, I don't know a thing about how far it is to the father of star and couldn't care less. I mean, I got a telescope over my house that we, we won in a science fair. I've never seen anything through that thing. Can't even focus it right. I don't know how far it is to the father of star, but I know what it means to love a boy. I don't know how far the father a star is but I know what it means to have a father's love. I know what that's like. And one time I nearly lost my child. And when I finally, when we finally found him, I'll give you a clue as to who that was. <laughs> when we finally found him, I realized in the moment that my fear finally subsided, How great was my love for my son. I don't know how far it is when you take off out into outer space, but I know how to love a son. I know how to love a daughter. And it's awesome to realize that God's love is like that. It's personal. And it's eternal. That means that you'll never have to wonder if God's going to quit loving you. You remember your first puppy love? yeah I see some of you I mean you are about in the fifth grade and all of a sudden you recognize women <laughs> there's Becky Sue Becky Sue oh she she suddenly is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen or, or Joe Bob you know if you're <laughs> if you're if you're a girl and all of a sudden, you know, you recognize and you just, you're so in love. I was telling in the early service, I, I never will forget, when I discovered how to hold hands, you know, you put your fingers, you know, inside, you know, you don't hold hands like this. And you're sitting on the front row of the Roxy Theater in Monday, Texas, holding hands, you know, like this, not like this, holding hands, boy, you can get close, sweaty palms, boy. And, and, and you know, you, you're in love with Becky Sue. And, and and that that's a that's a wonderful feeling, except you're not sure how long you're going to get to keep her. You ever you ever known that feeling? You just wonder every day you go to school. Wonder if Becky Sue still likes me. And everything's just going great until there's a move in. Some kid moves into town, and he's a heck of a lot cuter than you are. He's got a burr haircut, you know, and. And, and, and one day you're looking over at Becky Sue and Becky Sue's looking over at the move-in. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, you recognize that the love that Becky Sue had for you just ran out. It, it ran out. Let me tell you something. Isn't it wonderful that you never will have to wake up and wonder if God still loves you. His love is eternal. It means it has no beginning or end. Regardless of what happens in this earthly life, the love of God is constant. Now, I want to find my glasses. I want to read you the last three verses. Listen to this. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, His host, you who serve Him doing His will. Bless the Lord, all your works of His, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And what I want us to do right now, is to we're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to sing that song Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless, he's, he, you know, he's calling on the whole created universe to bless the Lord. So that's what we're going to do. We're stand. We're going to sing that song again.